Right on. So we're in week two of our series called Summer Playlist. The idea is this. Many of us have playlists that we create on our devices. And the minute you plug like a song on, it either takes you right to a place or right to a thought or right to a thing. You even see in movies, they obviously strategically place a song at a time because it, it immediately likes, makes an impact on the atmosphere or the way that you feel or think. And so we thought that the, the ways of God work the same way, that there's truths in the Bible that like as soon as you put them into the, your life, there's an impact. There's like an influence. Like as soon as you activate these things um, into your playlist of God's life, God's, God's way in your life, it makes a difference. Like you can run with it. It changes the atmosphere. And so we looked at some of these basic truths. Last week, we talked about the Bible, simply the Bible. We talked about like the song, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. Like the Bible is just everything. We stand on it because we believe it. And, and so that's, that's a thing that you put that into your playlist of life. You're going to see an immediate result uh, in your life and in your atmosphere. And so this week, we're going to talk about prayer. Now, I know a lot of us are here like, oh man, prayer, I've heard a whole bunch about it. We've prayed my whole life. My parents prayed my whole life. And, uh, and it's a thing that you're just, but I, but I encourage you this morning to listen to it and to think about it in a way that's like, you know, how can I plug this in and, and, and just let it be like an immediate impact on my life? Uh, the thing with prayer, if we're being honest about prayer, uh, we have this say, statement around here a lot that says, the largest gap in the world is between what you know to do and what you actually do. Uh, just that middle of making what you know to do actually happen is just a lot of space. And the idea is like, of course, we know that we should um, eat better, exercise a little bit more, go to bed a little bit earlier, get more sleep, all those things. We know those things, but the middle between getting to actually doing it is a big thing. And I think we all probably feel that way in prayer. Uh, many of us are like, oh, we know that this with prayer and this with prayer, uh, but actually closing the gap and making that happen. And I would actually take it one step further. Even if we do have a prayer life, because the thing that can happen to us is like this tradition thing. Uh, what can happen at times is you may even dedicate a time of prayer, but then the thing that you still have to close the gap on is, is it meaningful prayer? Is it quality prayer? Is it listening to God? Is it a passionate prayer? Many times we can do, now I lay me down to sleep, prayer before dinner. Well, I woke up, I better say a quick prayer. And, and it's not the way God intended it. So we even need to close the gap in sometimes the way we pray. Amen. And so uh, I want to look at it today, you know, like what, what do we do? And to me, prayer, uh, kind of a prayer life works kind of a lot like a diet. Uh, and I say that like this, like unless you make physical changes to your atmosphere and to your schedule and to your things, you're never going to have the kind of prayer life that you want. And I mean it like this, like when you go on a diet, like I'm making a change, I'm, I'm making a change, I'm going to have a new lifestyle, we're going to eat good, right? And so what you do is it's never going to work unless you do what? You go home and you do the tragic thing of dumping out the potato chips. Because if they're there, I'm going to eat them because they're delicious. Uh, but, but it's kind of the same thing in prayer. Like, listen, if you want to increase your prayer life, if you want to see God move in different areas in the realm of prayer, you have to take a look at your schedule. You got to take a look at your habits. You got to take a look at your thinking, your disciplines, and you got to go dump some of those out because they're going to get themselves in front of, you know, like I said, you're going to eat the chips. You're going to turn on the TV. You're going to distract. Amen. And, uh, and so I think it's really important for you to say, okay, God, I got this passion to pray more. I got this passion to do things. I need to go home. I need to rearrange some things so that I can make that a priority. Um, I thought about it like this. Prayer is the ignition to the car of Christian living, if you will. Uh, think about it. If you've ever stalled a car and you had to move it when it wasn't running. 
So the ignition wasn't turned, it wasn't on. And so you put it in neutral and somebody pushes you, which is a ton of effort, and the radio doesn't work, the air doesn't work, and the brakes are really stiff, and the, the wheel is really hard to turn. You can get that car to move. You can get it back in the driveway. Essentially, you can do life of car, but it is not nearly the same as when you turn the ignition and everything works, amen? Well, that's prayer. Prayer is stepping into your Christian life with God and being like, okay, I'm gonna pray. I'm turning in the key, turning on the key, and I wanna run at the fullest capacity, amen? It's engaging, it's igniting. Prayer starts it in us, amen? And uh, I thought about this before I get into some of my points, is um, we... If you look at battle plans all throughout history and you see anything about war or strategies to take out a people or to take out a, a group or to find victory, one of the first things they draw up is how can we eliminate their communication? Like my enemy's over there. I want to stop them from having success. They find the ways to cut off the way that they communicate. So if the general can't talk to the soldiers and they can't uh, tell of new plans and strategies, if that's cut off, if they've gone silent, then they're set up to be in great danger. I would say it's the same thing in our life. The enemy keeps you busy, keeps you distracted, keeps you all these things, keeps you from communicating with God, our general. Why? Because if he can cut off your communication with God, it's going to be a lot harder to win your battles. Amen. And so it's like, no, I got to stay in communication with my general. I need to be able to, to hear the plays and run. Amen. So a couple points. I brought six points that I want you to write down and I want you to just take home and, and pray through them and talk about them. Uh, but one thing we need to see uh, is my first point, point number one, if Jesus had a prayer life, we need a prayer life. If Jesus had a prayer life, we need a prayer life. The son of God needed times of prayer. You can find in Mark chapter 1, Luke verse 5, or chapter 5 and Luke 9, you'll see different instances where it said that he went away and prayed, or they came to him and he was alone in praying, or he was in a place of prayer because he had a practice in his life of prayer. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed a prayer life, we need prayer lives. It's not like we go, hey, you know, I got busy, I got these things, I got this stuff. Um, your excuses don't weigh up to Jesus's potential excuses. Think about Jesus. Jesus could have been like, hey, guys, like I'm not going to pray with you. Don't you see I'm too busy doing miracles? Don't you see I'm too busy raising the dead, healing the sick, opening blind eyes? And we'd be like, oh, you're right. You're right. Like that's a good excuse, Jesus. You are doing wonderful things. It's fine if you don't pray. You're doing great things. But Jesus, who lived a miraculous lifestyle, had all the best excuses, still took time to pray. Now, he wasn't an excuse maker. You know what I'm saying. But I'm just saying, if Jesus, of anybody, had good reasons to be too busy to pray, but he still prayed, then our excuses don't weigh up. We are never too busy. There's never a good reason. It's never a good season to be like, oh, all of this stuff is the reason that I'm, it's okay for me to not be praying. If Jesus had a prayer life, we need a prayer life. I thought about it like this. We make commitments uh, in our prayer life. We do things like, I'm going to pray more, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make a prayer list, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have an appointment to pray with God. I'm going to do it every day, and I'm going to do this thing, and it's an appointment in our heart that we make. Isn't it interesting in our real life, we keep appointments? Oh, I can't back out on them because, you know, a doctor visit or a dentist or something. Oh, we can't back out on them last minute because that's not honoring, and it's disrespectful, and I wouldn't just not show up on an appointment if somebody 
Amen. But I wonder to God how many times we stand him up. We, we don't honor the appointment that we have of them to spend time and to pray and to communicate with our Father. Amen? Let's keep our appointments. Let's stay connected in prayer. If Jesus had a prayer life and a prayer discipline and a prayer place in practice, we need to build that into our life and then we need to keep it. Amen? Number two, prayer is a part of restoration. If you're here and you say, I want to see a move of God and I want to see God do great things and I want to see this restored and this healed and I want to see all of these things, if I want to see that, then you need to be a prayer person. If your desire is to see God move and do great things and do all this kind of stuff, then you need to be interested in prayer because prayer is a part of how things are restored. I can show you in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, confess their sins, I can heal their land. What's interesting about this word humble is it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I think sometimes humbling ourselves is being honest and humbling, laying down our schedules. If my people will humble themselves and lay down their schedules, lay down the things they, need to think, they think they need to be a part of, if they'll lay down this and lay down that and humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. Many of you say, whoa, I got it going good. Like, I'm good. I'm actually good. My life is good. I'm good. I probably, I don't need to pray that much. Humble yourselves and pray for your neighbor that their land may be healed. Humble yourselves and pray for the generation behind you that their land remains healed. See, we believe that multi-generations are how God made us to work. We don't believe that that's a generation's move of God and this is a generation's move of God. We believe that we work together. We stand on each other's shoulders. All throughout scripture, it says, hey, stack stones and tell the next generation of what God did here. And what happens too often in church is a generation will take it to here and then the next generation will come along and they'll kind of argue and disagree and they'll say, oh, that's not good enough. And so then this one only gets to this level. And then the next one comes along and this one and they don't agree. And so they only take it this far. What could we be in our communities and in the kingdom of God if we worked together and we both just kind of humbled ourselves and laid down some things and instead we stood on each other's shoulders generationally? That's our prayer as a church. I want our kids standing on our shoulders. I want, when I walk through those halls, and all of you forget your craft hanging on the line, and it says all their names, because none of you pick up your crafts, your kids' crafts. And I walk down the hall, and I see all those names. I throw a prayer on them, and I say, God, I hope what we're building here is going to give them something great to stand on. So that the city of Zealand and Holland and Grand Rapids is all better because we're working together. Let's humble ourselves and move some things so we can see God heal generations. Amen? So I believe humbling and praying and, and, and turning from our wicked ways, prayer is a part of restoration. we got to be prayer people. But statistically, the Barna Research Group that says of all the Christian practices that you can do, attend church, uh, worship, uh, read your Bible, of all the things, the one on the bottom of the list was prayer. It's the most neglected thing by uh, American Christians. They put it at the least. The average American Christian spends less than 10 minutes a day in prayer. We spend more time a day preparing our food than communicating with God. 
We spend more time putting chips and cheese together than we do talking to our Heavenly Father. And I spend a lot of time eating chips and cheese, so this is pretty true. You guys. First service is so fun, and it's weird because, like, they're awake, or they shouldn't be awake. It's early. Like, I don't know. Bo, he's in both. He's, he disagreed is what he's actually did over there. Like, I agree, that second service. But I'm messing. It's okay to talk about chips and cheese in church, right? Is that okay or no? Good. So we spend more time preparing. Like, think about that, though. All of this, God says that, like, you were given your days, and we should spend them accordingly. Like, we should number our days and spend them accordingly. So, like, we have this great stewardship responsibility. And in turn on that, we spend more time, like, putting together our meals for the day than we do talking to God about how we should steward these days. Statistically, it says that we spend more time grooming so we do our hair, we brush our teeth, we put on deodorant. The average American spends more time doing those things than praying, than interceding on behalf of our communities. We have to be people uh, who spend time in prayer. Point number three leads me into this point number three. We must pray with desire. We must pray with desire. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you desire when you pray, Believe that you will receive them and you shall have them. So prayer needs to have some desire attached to it. Prayer needs to like come from your inner being of like, God, this is my desire. I'm praying this. This is something I'm, I'm passionate about. I care about not like, oh, I better get this prayer over with because I should be praying. Amen. Let's get stirred up about something and take it to a place of prayer. Let's get passionate about something and excited about something and take it to God. I thought about this in our life when, when there's things that we're thinking about or we have desire about or that's bubbling up on the inside of us. Isn't it interesting? Maybe you have an anxiety or a frustration or you have a stress about something. Isn't it interesting that when something like that pops up, the first thing we actually do is just pick up the phone and call somebody? So like, oh, my kids are acting crazy, or oh, I heard about this, happened to this thing. And the first thing we do is we go call mom, or we call dad, or we call our husband, or we call our friend, and we just spill our guts to them. We dump our desire out to them, and we don't call God. Amen? It's like, oh, that didn't work, so we go to the other capital G. Like, oh, I didn't, you know, I called these people, but I still don't feel good about it. So we go to the other capital G, Google. We jump on there, we're like, how do I fix, why do I? And so we go to the other one. I wonder how much more result we would have is if we, 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 something came up and something happened and work is driving you crazy and you're stressed out and this thing goes down. And instead of leaving there and calling a spouse or calling somebody and screaming about it and stressing about it, I wonder if you left there and you just said, God, I'm coming to you with a strong desire because I need to see this better. And we did it and we just prayed right to God right away. The scripture says, if you pray with desire and passion, when you come to him, you shall have those answers. Amen? Thought about our kids. We think about our kids. We think about schools. Oh my gosh, they're going to school and how are they going to be treated or they're going to be a part of that and I wonder what kind of friends they're going to have. We have all of these things that we have a desire for them about. Well, pray. Pray for them by name. Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus prayed for Peter, specifically by name. I pray that you... When the time comes and he named his name and he said, I pray for you specifically by name. Let's pray for our kids with strong desire. You see something in their life or you notice something and you start just praying over them. Now, don't get weird, right? You're in the grocery store and you see something and you 
Okay, you with me? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You just throw a prayer on them. You've heard me say that before. I'm always tossing prayers. Toss a prayer on them by name. Pray over them. Go to God with that desire for their life. Amen? Number four, point number four, God rewards prayer. God rewards prayer. Matthew chapter six, verse five, it says, and when you pray, because you should be praying, so when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, everybody say amen. <laughs> you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. He's saying their reward is they just want to be seen and noticed. They already get their payoff. That's all they wanted. Verse six, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Private prayer produces public reward. And I just say this to you, you might not even see the public reward for yourself. Many of you are a result of somebody in a prayer closet praying for you, and now you're still here. Amen? And that person might not see the result of your life, but I'm just telling you, your private prayers matter to God. Those quiet places, not on a stage, not on a box, yelling and screaming, but you go into a place and with, with desire, you pray, God's going to reward that. And many times you get to see it. You get to see the fruit of it. You get to look back and go, wow, that was so amazing that that prayer has now led us to this. But I'm just telling you, those private prayers come with great reward. Amen? Verse 7. It says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them. Your father knows the things you need before you even ask. God already knows. We don't need to come in with all these crazy, like, old, you know, talking like New King James, Old Testament, coming with all this, this, and the. God knows. Charles Spurgeon, a great revivalist, said that prayer is simply cooperating or cooperating, cooperating with God. It's just saying, you know, like the scripture says, he already knows what we need. He's already got a plan in place. The answers are already put together in heaven, right? He's just saying, you, you got to come to a place where you get in sync with God. You start praying. You start asking for answers. You just, you get together on that. It's cooperating with God. Amen. I'll give you an example. Uh, we just, we have the best person. Uh, we have uh, a friend of ours who comes, we just met her about a month ago. And she's uh, kind of coming out of the foster care system, and she's helping us. We're so proud of her. She's doing so good. So I'm getting to know more about the foster care system uh, because she kind of aged out. Uh, she's at this, at this age where it's just really hard, and the system is really broken. And so we're trying to get as much information as we can, and we're so proud of her and believe in her, and just can't wait to see God do absolutely amazing things. But we're getting more information about how we can help and how we can be a part of. And so we met with this uh, lady who runs an amazing group. And on Thursday, she's telling me the data of how broken the foster care system is for these older teenager, uh, almost 18-year-old kids. It's so broken that I just basically spent most of the meeting trying not to cry through it because it's such an uphill battle and it's so broken. And the results of the brokenness are years of generations damned. It's just, it's terrible. And I'm just trying not to cry and trying not to cry because I just know, and I see the cycle and there's just not much there. And of course I have this great friend who I met, uh, who's helping us and she's coming out of where that system treated her poorly. And, uh, and so I'm just contending for her life because we love her and we care and we're so excited to see all that God's doing. And so it's personal to us at this point. And 
So at the end of the meeting, I'm just mad. I'm, I'm upset. I'm scared for like the system because it's just so broken. And like, how are we ever going to make a dent in this? And the meeting's over and I go back to my desk and I didn't light incense. I didn't go get all big thick Bibles and start praying these like, you know, Old Testament, like New King James Version prayers. I just said, God, I hate this. I hate this. This is really stupid. This really sucks. I don't like this. Will you help me help this situation? Like, I, I, I don't have the answer. I don't have the strategy. I haven't been taught. This is a huge uphill battle. But there's 600 kids right now in the state of Michigan on a road that is not a good road. And we don't have the answers. So I didn't go back and do this massive prayer. And da, 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 da. I just said, God, I don't like this. Help me help this. That simple. Help me help this situation. Not vain repetition, not some long laying on the floor crazy. And there's times God calls you to all kinds of weird prayer. But I just said, God, you know that this is stupid and you know that this is broken and you know that I don't know how to do it. But help me. You know what God's going to do? Help me. I'm going to stand here in a couple years and I'm going to say, look how God helped us. Help. Amen. Prayer is like that. God rewards it. God rewards when you come with desire and sincerity and you just pray for God to move in your life. Amen? Number five, you will lack if your prayer life lacks. You will lack in your life if your prayer life lacks. Uh, I can explain it like this. None of us would be like, hey, why don't you sign up for like a less than life or area of your life? Like, hey, how do you want these areas of your life to work? Uh, well, of course, I want the best that I can get and I'm choosing the best and I want the best. Okay, awesome. Well, if you downgrade your prayer life, you're going to see lack because God uses prayer to bring things into your life. Amen? James 4.1 says this, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. If you're not asking, you won't have. He says you, you, you don't have it because you're not asking for it. And here's the deal. Let me first explain it before I finish this. Many of us have lots of experiences in this room where we've genuinely gone to God in the right place, in the right posture, and we've asked him for something and we haven't got it. We've all had that. So I'm not going to get up here and be like, do this automatically happens. It's not like a lever that you pull because like we just don't see what God sees. There's just stuff. And here's an example. And if you don't have an iPhone or you don't know how they work, you won't understand this illustration. And I don't feel bad about that because it's your own fault for not having an Apple product. <laughs> but if you go into your photo albums and you click on a picture that picture is right in front of you, just one picture. And so you look at that picture and it's everything. It's current in your life. It's right there. It's one big picture. And for you, it's everything. It's that time of your life for you. It's just everything you see. It's everything right in front of you. This moment is sometimes it feels like it's killing us or it's too much or it's the best. And it's this moment. And it's just everything. It's in front of us. It's our perspective. It's this. But then on the phone, if you click at the top, you can back out one more. And it brings you to like less or a few more pictures, but it's like six or 10 or something. I don't know. But you can see a variety of pictures, but you can still make out what they are. You see them there and you get, you get, a, you get a perspective of a few more. 
and you back out again, and then it, they get smaller, but it becomes more. And, and then you're, it's not right in front of you. You, you see a, a variety, a span of this life, if you will. And you go, oh yeah, I remember when that one was such a big deal to me. And then this one was such a big deal. And then this one was such a big deal. And then you back out even more and they just become smaller and smaller blips. And it's this whole, I think it's called collection in your phone of just all of these. But that's God's perspective of your life. It says he sees the beginning and the end, meaning God's view of everything. In front of us, it feels like God in this moment, this thing. But God's overseeing it from the back of like, yeah, but I see how it all works together. And I've had moments in my life where I've prayed the best that I could to see God move. And right in front of me, I needed this one to happen. I needed this very thing. Like, God, you have to do this. But God was like, no, I see the whole thing. And then this one didn't work for me. It didn't come through because God knew he could work all things together. He had a better view. Amen. And now I would never want to go back to what this was. Because what I have now is so much better. Anybody relate to that? So I'm not saying like it's this exchange vending machine God, but I'm just saying we, we go to him the best that we can in these ways. We ask God and he's the, the scripture says that he gives good gifts. And so we just have to believe that, that that's his desire is to give good gifts and we just trust him that he's Lord. Amen. So we go to him and we ask, it says, you have not because you ask not. I'll say it to you like this. You've maybe heard me share this story before. Um, have you ever had your kids? I have a four and a half year old and a two and a half year old, and uh, they'll come to me. You know these meltdowns. They'll come to you and they want something, but they haven't even asked. So they come in and they're blah, 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 and they're on the floor and they're going crazy. And you're just like, "What? What do you want? What do you want?" And they haven't even asked because I am the giver of juice boxes. Like I have it. I'm willing to. I am the Lord of all fruit snacks. All you have to do is ask, and you shall receive. But they're on the floor going crazy. Like the scripture says, there's wars and quarrels and all of this stuff is happening among you. You murder, you cover, you make this ridiculous mess. And when they're on the floor acting crazy, it looks ridiculous and pathetic because they haven't even asked me yet. Oh, but wait a minute. I wonder if we, God, looks up in, from heaven going like, you look ridiculous and pathetic. You're all stressed out about life and your career and you haven't even asked me. I have an idea that will help you. Amen. That's what it's saying. Like, hey, quit making a mess of things. You look crazy. Just come ask me for what you need. Amen? Last point, uh, number six. Prayer is your personal responsibility. It's your personal responsibility. Prayer is your personal responsibility. James 5.13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. It didn't say let the pastor pray. It didn't say let the prayer team pray. It didn't say let the congregation pray. It says if you got something going on in your life, pray. Now we love, and I'm very honored, and I, I love the opportunity to pray for you and with you, and I'm not saying we're trying to get away from that. What I'm saying is you first have the responsibility of prayer. You pray. Then we, along with that, bring in the pastor, the congregation, friends, family, people to agree and be alongside you. But it's our responsibility to pray. We don't say, hey, I go to a good church that prays a lot. They got me covered. Hey, they do that Saturday morning prayer thing. They got us covered. No, it's our personal responsibility to pray. Lamentations 1.9 says, Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. I'm saying it like this. It wasn't the sin that caused her 
to the uncleanness in her skirts. It wasn't the sin that caused her to have a collapse. It said that she did not consider her destiny. She didn't have personal responsibility for what God wanted to do in her life. She didn't have vision for the kingdom of God in her life. Therefore, sin came in and caused her to collapse. What am I saying? I'm saying you need to have a prayer purpose. You need to have a personal responsibility in prayer. Something that you're working at, consider God's call on your life. Amen? And then pray into that. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge you, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I believe that if we prayed for our leaders and we prayed for other people as much as we complained about them, they'd turn into just poof, angels. Like the leaders, the people that we spend so much time posting about and bickering about and complaining about, if you prayed for them as much as you complained about them, we'd be in heaven. It'd be revival. Like we'd just be there. Amen? Our personal responsibility is to pray for leaders. It said everybody. That's everybody. That means everybody. Your personal responsibility is to pray for everybody. Your boss. It's to pray for all those that you're connected to. People that you don't get along with, that you despise. I can't tell you how much I pray for East Lansing and Michigan State and just the lost over there. I don't like them, but I pray for them. Amen? There's a statement uh, that we try to say. You say on the sports field, oh, you got to pay the price. Go out there and pay the price and put in the work and pay the price. Uh, But we say we pray the price. You just got to go out there and pray the price. Just go out there and sacrifice in prayer. Amen? Scripture in Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock are pursuits. Ask, seek, knock, that's pursuits. We must pursue things in prayer for our lives, not in response to. We must pursue things in prayer for our lives, not in response to. What it means is this. Your prayer life shouldn't always be, God help me fix this, God help me fix this, God help me fix this, in response to all this other stuff. We should be asking, seeking, pursuing for our lives in advance so that God directs our steps, not just, oh, blew a tire, Got to go get spare tire God and put him on because we need him now. We get better pray and fix it because we need God now. No, we need God now in advance, leading us, guiding us, directing us. Amen? I'll close with this. Mark Batterson has a couple great statements that I, I read uh, all the time we talk on prayer. It said, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold, bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. And that should trip you up like it trips me up because it should convict us because much of our prayer isn't over our head as it should be. So much of our prayer life should be way over our head that it requires God to make it happen. It's insulting to God if it isn't miraculous. Now, obviously, we can pray for the simple things and the daily, and the, but, but God is, the scripture said, up in heaven, watching over his word to perform it. Like he wants to do something exciting. It's like we put a limiter on God. I mean, it's frustrating. I just got my little son a power wheel, four-wheeler. 
and we raced our bikes and stuff. So he wants to go fast and be loud and all that stuff. Well, it's got the little limiter on it and he knows what that thing's doing. So it only goes in one gear at a certain speed. He'd be a super happy little dude if I took that thing off and he could go at the other speed, twice the speed. I wonder if God's up there like, man, why do they keep, I wanna, right? Show me some speed, let's blaze. It's my kids' cartoons. I... Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers become the script of your life. If God framed the world with his words and we're like God, then we frame our world. We were created in the image of God. Then we frame our world with our words, what we pray, what we speak. The scripture backs it up. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. What's on your tongue is in your future. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. The prayers that go unanswered because they never got asked. We have to be a prayer people. Scripture says tomorrow is promised to no man. Oh, I'll pray more when I get to the next season or when we settle down or we'll pray more, we'll do. Tomorrow's promised to no man. If you don't plant today, you don't harvest tomorrow. We start now. Put the seeds of prayer into our communities, amen? Prayer is the key of the morning and the bolt of the evening. And I believe that should be true about our lives. Charles Spurgeon said, the prayer room of their church, he calls the engine room. If the engine room is out of action, he explains, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. We cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. Therefore, confess your sins, James 5, 16, to each other and pray so that others may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I would venture to say, if righteous people aren't praying, we're missing power and effectiveness. Amen.